The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Sup? And tonight, we're going to get literary. But don't worry, that doesn't mean we're going to be talking about Charles Dickens or anything like that. We're going to be talking about lit RPGs, a new and exciting genre that's kind of come onto the scene over the last couple years, and um, one that most people are probably not even aware of. So, in order to solve that problem, we've brought in an expert, Ramon Maya, host of the Lit RPG Podcast. Welcome to the show, Ramon. Hey, everybody. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And it's great to have you here, especially considering that you do the only podcast on the subject. So, I think that pretty much makes you the expert. Yeah, at least in the podcasting world. Awesome. So, um, first, how about you tell our audience, what are Lit RPGs? Because they're probably scratching their heads right now. Yeah, no problem. Uh, lit RPG or lit RPG or literary RPG. They're stories that incorporate um, role-playing game mechanics um, into the storyline. So you'll see things like level ups, um, skill notifications. You'll get XP for killing monsters. They're really a, a, an extension of video games, um, tabletop role-playing games. Those kind of mechanics be actually being written and explained in a story and being relevant to to character growth. Huh. Okay, um, so where did this term come from then? Oh, the term lit RPG, well, um, depending on who you ask, there are a couple of, of variations of origin. Um, I recently interviewed uh, a Russian author, um, Vasily Mahenko. He's the author mm -hmm. of the Way of the Shaman series. He's been writing his lit RPG stories for about seven years, and he says that he came up with the actual term lit RPG or literary oh. RPG the, as a way to describe the kind of stories that are becoming very popular in Russia, mm -hmm. Korea, China, and Japan. Um, these, these stories that incorporated virtual reality games, MMOs, or even just, you know, parallel worlds with game mechanics that were evident. Um, mm. And so he says he came up with it. Hmm. That's interesting, considering he's Russian, right? So yeah. would they have used the English term lit RPG, or is he using some Russian equivalent that we just translated that way? No, he said, well, he, he actually speaks English pretty easily. Um, okay. So he, and, and the term, a lot of English words, like role-playing game, sometimes yeah. they just translate directly as, you know, RPGs, the acronyms um, translate directly in other languages. So I, uh, right. I think for him, it was a combination of both of those, but he, he says he came up with, and I can't find anything to dispute that. So I, I give him credit. Hmm. Is, is he one of the, uh, the, the first um, authors of the, uh, this genre? I don't know that I would say he was one of the first authors. He's definitely one of the more popular Russian authors. Um, the lit RPG community in the United States has really only been around for about three, four, maybe five years at, at the longest. Um, but in other countries, it's been around for 
10, 15 years um, in Russia, huh. in Korea, in Japan, in China. These these communities where there is also a very large gaming culture. Um, in, right. in Korea, one of the most popular games is going to be StarCraft, you know, games that that require multiple players, MMOs. And so it, it kind of makes sense that those type of interests would mesh very well with fantasy and sci-fi literature. And so including those mechanics was kind of a natural response to that kind of uh, developing gaming culture. Right. Hmm. Interesting. So do we have any idea where they came from? Like, is was this just the result of that response to that gaming culture then? Um, in part, uh, like, like most literature, literature to me is often a response or reflection of, of cultures and attitudes that exist in the real world. Uh, and lit RPG is no different in my opinion. Um, do, about uh, 10, 15 years ago, um, the, the the oldest lit RPG that I, I would classify as lit RPG um, came from Korea. An original okay. light novel was called um, The Moonlight Sculptor. That's what it's called in English. Right. Um, and, you know, 15 years ago, it was written there. And from there, other writers saw the popularity that the author was getting. Mm-hmm. And they copied and it kind of spread throughout Korea, spread throughout Japan, the Asian countries, into Russia, a neighboring community. And it, it was only the last three or four years that, that those works were translated into English. And mm-hmm. we as American gamers and, and virtuality enthusiasts and, and, and fantasy and sci-fi lovers found them. And, you know, we started loving them and creating our own stuff. Hmm. Would Ready Player One class be classified as a lit RPG? Yeah, in my opinion, it does. Now, um, just to explain to your audience members exactly what lit RPG is, um, I mean, I gave you a brief description of it, but it can kind of encompass a lot of different traditional sci-fi and fantasy genres. Um, the things that make lit RPG unique and, and lit RPG-ish, uh, there are two qualifiers, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of debatable um, in different communities. There's a Facebook group for lit RPG that just recently had this huge, long discussion. And we kind of came up with, mm. with these two qualifiers. One, the story must exist, at least partially, in a world with expressly stated game mechanics. So mm-hmm. the, mm. in a lot of tr- older traditional fantasy stories, like from Dungeons and Dragons stories, Dritzhu Erden, um, you know, those kind of games right. that are still based on tabletop games, the game mechanics are completely hidden. You don't see them. Right. They feel like more fantasy stories, even though if you're a, a Dungeons and Dragons player, you know, oh, that's... He just did a D20 roll. He had a critical hit. Or he's he's taking the dual will feed. In a lit RPG, all those things are expressly stated in text. It'll say um, a blue box appears and you gained a level to the, right. to the character. And so it's, mm. that's one of the things that kind of defines the genre. Now, the other thing, the other qualifier that makes a story a lit RPG is the way that the character progresses in the story. Um, the character must progress within the game mechanics. It can't just be described as, oh, the character becomes stronger or he gains a magical sword and defeats the evil villain. Um, mm-hmm. His character growth is actually described in those same gaming turns. He gains levels, he gains skills, he gains abilities, um, very much in the same way that you would see those kind of growths in a video game, in a tabletop mm-hmm. RPG uh, or in an MMO. Right. Right. Huh. Because what's what's interesting about it, um, and it's interesting that you say it came um, it came into its own about ten or fifteen years ago, is it kind of seems from the the little bit I know that it's sort of a derivation and maybe a uh, fulfillment, I guess might be the word, of a genre that came out in the nineties from Japan, which I refer to as kids collect things and make them fight. 
but people would know as like, say, Pokemon or, or Yu-Gi-Oh, mm-hmm. that they sort of, they start with that idea, because especially, say, um, like, like Yu-Gi-Oh, when they did the show, when they brought it here especially, they tried to incorporate actual gameplay into it, and you had at least the trappings of that, and you had the idea that the game, in some capacity, was 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 real that it was it was a, a, a an active environment for for the characters but again it was all kind of kept kept uh i don't want to say like like uh it was it was kept very simple because i think the idea was to to sell product right but it it sounds like maybe what happened was um the 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 kids that grew up with that as they got older they wanted something more substantial they wanted something more I guess the word would be fulfilling something that that engaged them more. And would you say that might have influenced this? That it was people that grew up with games. They grew up with the 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 game imagery. They were comfortable with that idea, but they were looking for something with more depth and detail. And that's how like the uh, lit RPG came about. I would say that would be a fair guess at where the genre came from. I don't. It's completely, it's completely possible. I would say part of the draw of Lit RPG is that wish fulfillment. Um, mm-hmm. People like myself who have been gamers uh, 20, 25 years, uh, most of my life, I've been playing video games, um, whether mm-hmm. it's NES, arcade, RPGs, Final Fantasy, whatever it is. Um, I grew up with games. I know video games and video game mechanics better than I do physics or art or the president's names. You know? Right. Um, and so people like me who are nerds and geeks and who love mm-hmm. games and who love understanding these, the mathematics of, 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 of Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop games, we've always wished that we could live in these understandable worlds. Like the real world is highly complicated. It doesn't mm-hmm. make sense in a lot of ways. And so mm-hmm. I, I agree with you in that part of the draw of the genre of lit RPG is that wishful film, the desire to live in those game worlds you love, in those worlds that make sense, where you can be super powerful, where you can grow as a character or have personal growth, and it's measurable. Um, that, right. that I definitely agree with that, that part part of the reason of its popularization. Hmm. Now, is a requirement for a lit RPG that the, that the main character come from um, our world, like it's a person from our world going into the RPG, or is that no. a necessary component? No, no, no. It just again the. the we we really did boil down the two qualifiers for the genre as the story has to exist in a game world with obvious mechanics can't be hidden, mm. and the main character has to grow. There has to be some progression with right. those same game mechanics, and they have to be obviously stated. Um, everything else is up to the author. Uh, you can do a portal fantasy where it's from Earth being transported to a game world or to a parallel mm. universe, or the entire world can, including all the main characters, can exist in an already established game world or at a parallel universe or in a portal fantasy um, or right. a sci-fi world. Uh, I think that that's, again, one of the bigger draws of the genre. It's not limited to fantasy or just sci-fi. It can adopt, it can also be applied as a filter to just about every other fantasy or sci-fi genre. I've read literary PG that's, um, that's space opera. That's a, more of a shooter kind of a sci-fi look at it or virtual reality or transport it to another world or portal fantasy. I mean, or a, a dungeon master story where, you know, the very similar to like a, a civilization game where mm-hmm. you ha- have mm-hmm. or a role, real time strategy game, you know, the, the amount of 
the different variety of game mechanics that can be applied to a story are as infinite as the amount of games that exist in the world. But that brings up an interesting point. So what are the major subgenres of lit RPG, since there definitely are more than one genre of it? Yeah. Um, again, any any kind of fantasy or sci-fi genres, subgenres that you can think of, they can also be lit RPG subgenres. Again, as long as they meet those two qualifiers, it exists mm-hmm. in a, a, a world with game mechanics. And in, right. the character grows by obviously within those game mechanics. Um, like I said, the, so any kind of fantasy you think of high fantasy, low fantasy, dark fantasy. Um, I've read a little RPG that have those same kind of tropes, those same mm. kind of, uh, urban fantasy. I've read a little RPG that exists in our modern world where it's an apocalypse situation and, and game rules are applied for some reason. Um, mm. It, it crushes a lot of genres and it, and it kind of extends life to those type of situations as well. Right. Okay. Well, what about like, there's one kicking around. Have you ever read the King? It's called the King's avatar in English, yeah. mm-hmm. but a major gamer who basically loses his place in this virtual reality world has to start back from the beginning. Yeah. And, but in that game, he's basically just a guy working in a computer, you know, in a PC room, basically playing a game in his spare time He's not really like sections of the story take place in a, in the game, I suppose, relatively speaking. But it's not really how can I put this? He's not really immersed in it. He's still just a guy sitting at a PC in a PC room. Would that still count as a lit RPG, or does as it all come down to? Pr- yeah, as long as Sorry. he's meeting those two qualifiers. Um, I I haven't read enough of the story to give you a, a, a firm yes or no question on it. But if right. most of the story exists in a game world. Or, right. or world where there's game mechanics and they're obviously stated. And yep. if his character, whether it's his virtual character in a game or he himself personally, if that character has growth where they're saying right. like, oh, he's leveling up, he's getting skills, mm. he's getting ranks, reputation, whatever it is, if that's the majority of the story, then yeah, it's a little RPG. Like there's a the huge variety of, of possible right, yeah. story opportunities within this genre because there aren't a firm set of boundaries saying you must do this trope and this trope and this trope. There's only two. Mm-hmm. Everything else is completely open to the author. So there's a huge right. variety of stories available. And I think that's part of the appeal because you can mix and match little RPG with other genres and kind of almost do a buffet style of, of, of story possibilities. Right. Hmm. Okay. Cause that's, that's kind of interesting too. Cause um, you mentioned growing up playing like video games and the tabletop role playing games and that. And it's funny. Cause I can remember like, some of the guys I used to hang out with, we still do this, that you would look at the world around you and it was easy to explain stuff in game terms. Like if you saw somebody do something stupid, you'd be like, yeah, he rolled a 20. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, absolutely. I, 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 I understand exactly what you're saying. Uh, often in my everyday life, I'll, I'll make the same jokes, you know, hit on a girl, <laughs> she gives you a number. Hey, that's a charisma roll bonus. Yeah. Success roll. <laughs> yep. Um, I actually did, recently did a, um, a video on YouTube that kind of did the same things where I was incorporating little RPG mechanics into a real world situation. It, it's a funny, silly video. Um, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. but in the video I'm getting up, I'm restoring health and mana as I'm sleeping. I wake right. up, I brush my teeth. I get a, a, an appearance bonus, I clean the house. I get a plus five reputation with my wife. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. All that kind of stuff. And it's very <laughs> silly, but it kind of visually, um, mm-hmm addresses exactly what, what, one of the possibilities of what little RPG is. It, it, it's not confined to just fantasy or science fiction. Uh-huh. It can be real world stuff. Um, there's mm-hmm. just so many possibilities with, within the genre because people understand game mechanics. So there's so many gamers 
that right. like you're even if you don't remember read loader pg you're like oh i get that joke yeah uh-huh. yeah <laughs> yeah because certain game mechanics are almost universal they're almost generic yeah. yeah and so everyone understands them to one degree or another although dice rolls maybe not you'd have to be a tabletop gamer to really get those but that's eh. the way it works yeah. so so how big is the fandom for lit rpgs then um i'd say it is it's not a huge fandom the, the genre itself is, is pr- relatively small um, I only pulled up a few different numbers. Um, I know we have a Facebook Facebook group for Lit RPG, um, and there are three thousand members. You know, that's pretty good. And on the Royal Road, which is a, a site for amateur Lit RPG fiction, in addition mm-hmm. to other kinds of fiction, um, right? I've seen members grow up to seven thousand a day. You know, hmm. and there are people who translate uh, as fans fictional works in Korea and Japan and all those other places. Right. And you know, they get ten thousand people reading their stuff a day. Um, and so, so. Mm-hmm. It's a it's it's a large community, and it's growing all the time, and it's becoming more of a popular franchise because people are realizing that video game, virtual reality, these gaming mechanic kind of fictions, um, right. are entirely feasible, and so more and more mm-hmm. authors are kind of jumping on in, in the United States at least, jumping on the battle way and saying, oh, I can write this kind of fiction because I'm I'm an author, and I'm a gamer, and so I understand how to put these two things together. Right. Right. Oh, hmm. Makes sense. Huh. And of course, with Ready Player One getting a movie, I think next year or the year after, I think it's next year, that'll definitely boost things as well. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That, that kind of popularization of, of, of kind of video game fiction mm. it definitely boosts this genre as well. Um, right. I mean, there, there's lots of great, there's, there's been video game fiction before in movies, but I think right. Ready Player One is probably uh, a good example if it's done well, of course. Uh, right. Something that would also be a little RPG. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I would imagine that a lot of the North American popular, or at least the boom, started probably with uh, Sword Art Online. Yeah, yeah, it did for me at least. I mean, um, once, at, again, international works came to the United States and they were translated, uh, yeah. Americans like, this is really cool. I love this kind of stuff where, where it plays into virtuality and it's kind of wish fulfillment of living mm-hmm. in a game world, whether it's from virtuality or portal fantasy or transported to another world. Um, for me personally, that's how I found RPG. I saw Strider Online as an anime, and I fell right. in love with that idea of living in a, a video game that I loved. I looked mm-hmm. up the, the light a novel version of it, um, right. translated from Korean uh, or Japan. Japanese in that Japanese, case. Japanese, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> then from there, I just started looking for more fiction along the same lines, and I found that it was called RPG. And I just found, fell down the rabbit hole of, of going for like, translated stuff to Russian stuff to, oh yeah, they're English guys. American authors who have written this kind of stuff to it and just, you know, spending a ton of money on Amazon uh, right. and Kindle Unlimited just going through all these novels. Hmm. So, okay, then. Um, wow. So, yeah, your, your, <laughs> bill, your Amazon bill must be pretty high then. <laughs> For a lot of little RPG guys, it is. It's, just, it's one of those <laughs> – the genre plays on those same kind of addictive qualities that MMOs have or tabletop right. games have or video games have. The people mm-hmm. who are into the genre – uh, are, are, are the people who dedicate whole weekends to a raid on, on World of Warcraft. You right, know, so, the, yeah. so, the, so those people are super rabid enthusiasts and they're willing to shell out, you know, hundreds of dollars for the, you know, a whole list of little RPG novels on Amazon or Kindle Unlimited if they're, if they do it the, the, the economical way. Um, yes. And mm-hmm. So that's the kind of, that's the kind of fan base you have. Hmm, that makes sense. Now, do you think that the whole, like, uh, YouTube genre and Twitch and that of people watching playthroughs has also affected things as well. 
I mean, there seems to be a lot of similarity there. I think hmm. that there are symptoms of the same popularization of gaming culture um, mm-hmm. in that people are willing to passively view um, the things that they love. They don't have to right. be actively involved in them necessarily in their, in their creation. They can just be passive receivers of this through a novel or through a movie or through, you know, a Twitch channel. Um, mm-hmm. People love, have, have, have grown up playing video games enough right. that they can see, Oh, I, I can visualize myself there. I don't need to actually play the game. I can still have a great time. And so there's symptoms oh. of the same popularization of gaming culture, in my opinion. Makes sense. It's it's interesting too because um, if you go back to say the eighties and especially the early nineties, yeah. um, it seemed like there was an attempt to make this kind of thing, um, especially under the guise of uh, virtual reality, a thing. And there was a lot of attempts at doing stories and that similar to this, but they never seemed to catch on. No, no, there were there were very few examples of that catching on. I, I I've read those as well. Uh, once I got mm-hmm. into the genre, there were just never enough books, so I go through a back catalog, and I found the same thing. Um, the last virtual reality boom, it kind of had the same effect, and it because people again can they see what's possible now, and they extrapolate right. into the future what's possible then, and so that that mm-hmm. we get into that same kind of wish fulfillment, where they see mm-hmm. oh. I, I wish I could live in this video game that it seems decent now would be really cool in 10 or 15 years. And so again, the literature fulfills that need of, of that kind of wishful film or that reflection of, of that kind of society. Um, and like, but you, you are correct in that. I think it was more because of the times that those books were written where it wasn't okay to just graphically explain, Oh, he, he made a bad role or he, mm-hmm. you know, he, had a, he made a miss on that, on that dragon because he's too low of a level, whatever the case is. Right. They were almost forbidden <laughs> um, within the writing community of, of describing their background rules because it wasn't okay then because right. gaming hadn't been unpopular and, and publishers said, no, our, our readers aren't going to understand this thing. This is too nerdy. This mm. is too geeky. Um, yeah. And so I think that's part of why it didn't pick up as much as it does now. Because with mm. the advent of, and the popularization of self-publishing, uh, writers can just say, I don't care what my publisher says. I'm going to put it out myself. Right. And there are a lot right. more amateur publishers, people like myself, who love reading lit RPG, who love this kind of fiction. And they get so fulfilled by it that they have to make their own story. And because of mm. self-publishing, they can do so. They can make any kind of story they want to. And it's their readers who are going to decide whether they're a success or not. Right. I'm wondering, too, because a lot of the earlier attempts, um, again, back in like the 80s, early 90s, seemed to piggyback on the uh, cyberpunk genre. Yeah. And I'm wondering if what happened was back then people focused more on, say, the um, like the street life of cyberpunk, um, the idea of corporate takeover in cyberpunk, and the VR thing, it was there, but it was still attached to the real world. And I'm wondering if what's happened is that seems to be where people are going because the other parts of it are basically real life now. Uh, that, that definitely could be the case. I, I understand what you're saying about the type of fiction that was there. It was more of a cautionary tale in virtual mm-hmm. reality. The popularization of computers hadn't really happened yet. It was, it was very new. So people are scared of new technology. And right. so I think that was the reflection in those types of literature. And it's not the case anymore. People aren't as afraid. There are generations of people who have who've grown up with computer systems and video games. Right. And so they can explore the different aspects of those stories now. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that because that was um, when I read uh, Ready Player One. 
the thing that got me and I'm old, like I was, I'm, I'm in like late, my late forties. And when I was reading it, they talk about going into the computer and going into the Oasis. Yep. And I was waiting for the downside. I'm waiting for the negative. Cause I'm so used to yep. there. There's always a cost to doing that. And that was the first time I'd seen there wasn't. Yeah. I mean, well, in ready player one, there, there was an underlying cost of, Somebody else taking control of the system, of course, and it, mm-hmm. and that kind of threat exists in the in the corporate side of it. Uh, but I understand what you're saying in that people are okay with it; they're not afraid of the tech, they're not afraid of virtual reality as mm-hmm. being this all-encompassing thing that's going to take over your life and ruin your career uh, <laughs> as if it was drugs or, or, or right. something like that. Um, we understand that, yeah, people can have a hobby and they can still be you know r- real people with with real jobs, and then they're okay. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Radio Player One definitely does popularize the idea of, of li- almost living in a game world. And yeah. for a lot of people, that, that's a great introduction to the kind of stories that are in Little RPG, where you exist, um, you want to exist in those game worlds as much as possible because it's fun. It feels more interesting than the real world. Right. Well, I was going to say, there are downsides to Ready Player One. I mean, the people are literally warehousing themselves in stacks of old mobile homes, and real life really sucks hard in Ready Player One. That's the reason they're in the Oasis. Yeah, but yeah. Is, that, is the Oasis the cause of that, or is it simply a consequence of the world in general sucking? I mean, That's true. I, to, from mm. my point of view, when I read Ready Player One, uh, I saw that as, as a consequence of a downward economy, mm. um, and that virtual reality took the place... Uh, for people of, of an alternative job source. Uh, yes. They they mm-hmm. made their livings in a virtual world. And so, yeah, they would dedicate most of the time. If you think of the amount of time you spend on, on a regular job, at least mm-hmm. eight hours, plus mm-hmm. you know an hour for a commute maybe, uh, and you sleep another eight hours, you know, that that's a third of your day. You yeah, know, so you we live in our jobs a lot of times. I see my coworkers more than I see my wife most days. Um, right. And that's just because of our schedules. But if your job is in virtual reality, then it would kind of make sense that mm-hmm. you would have that kind of existence as well. Yeah. And and that was the idea too with uh the Oasis. There was nothing like say Black Ice. Right. Which is an old school cyberpunk standard. Like in the Oasis you'd get booted out and that was the worst that would happen. Your brain wouldn't melt and leak out your ears like it would in like the older stories. Yeah, yeah, with the augmented reality. For some reason I always felt like those virtual reality games thought that our brains would be hacked through visual stimulation. Um, mm-hmm. or, you know, through neural hacks. And I'm like, that's, that's an interesting leap. Again, it's that caution of, I don't know what this thing is and people are scared of it. So it's a mm-hmm. reflection of that. And, and we just yeah. don't feel the way more and more people as they grow up, they're comfortable with culture, with tech culture. I mean, kids are growing up getting used, being used to be entertained by tablets instead of televisions. Um, right. you know, they're on YouTube all the time. I, I mean, there's a, there's an emerging gamer culture where kids prefer to watch people play video games than play them themselves on Twitch. Right. You know? And so that, that it's just that evolution of, of being comfortable with technology and making it a part of your daily life. Yeah. The other thing you don't see um, anymore with uh, the technology is you don't see a lot of, and this is what the kids are into as, as a negative, because I think anything that the kids are into so are the grown-ups. So again, it's not that weird, mysterious thing. Right. It's not like in the 80s when people were terrified that arcade games were to melt kids' minds. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Arcades don't exist really anymore. That's um, true. 
Well, they're kind of making a comeback, believe it or not. At least up here in Canada where we are, there's a company, um, Cineplex Odeon, that mm-hmm. they're actually building what they call rec rooms now that are basically mm. combinations, karaoke, video game parlors, and bowling alleys, and like uh, young and teenage bars, basically. And they're all these mm. complexes that are designed just for kids to go in and have fun. But yep. video games are still part of that. Yeah, yeah. And, and with the advent of virtual reality, that's going to be more and more of a thing. More people mm-hmm. are going to invest in because virtual reality is potentially such, such an expensive prospect to kind of invest in as right. a system. Um, you're going to see more and more arcades pop up with the virtual reality aspect just because it's cheaper to do it on a larger scale and have people go in for smaller sessions than it is to spend, you know, two or three grand on a home oh, setup. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Although it's not two or three grand. Remember, P- PlayStation VR just came out. You can set yourself up for, I guess, it'd be about eight hundred at this point. Yeah, eight hundred yeah. total in with the system and the and the uh, the goggles, about four and four. Absolutely correct. Yeah. But that that experience isn't um, nearly as immersive as the Oculus Rift or the HTC Vive. Um, I also do a podcast on geek and tech stuff, so right, this yeah. is also <laughs> part of my life. Right. Um, and so I, I've actually used and I own a couple of those setups. Um, and mm-hmm. the HTC Vive and the Oculus Rift blow away the PS4's version of it. And that's just a matter of hardware. Um, yeah. For a really good system and a really good experience, you need the expensive hardware. So you need like a grand a computer system that costs $1,000. And then you have right. the Oculus Rift, which is going to be a $600 investment. And if you want the wands with it, the hand control, that's another couple hundred right. dollars. Or the HTC mm-hmm. Vive, which, which kind of combines the prices of both, but within room scale fashion where you can move around. Um, and so, the, like I said, a good investment. Mm. Uh, it's going to be an expensive property, at least for now. Maybe later right, on, yeah. and, uh, as it becomes more popular, as the cost will come down. Um, but for a lot of people, it's it's for a lot of regular people, it's right. the realm of fantasy or that thing I saw on television. Right. Mm. Yeah. Don't worry, porn will find a way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, the, the best and cheapest gear, uh, virtual reality experience I've had actually had is right. the mobile experience on Gear VR. Oh, it's okay. real simple. Oh. You pop it in the headset. It's wireless. You know, there's no wires hanging around. You can move around if you need to. But I think that's a perfect way for people to get a, a an inexp- relatively inexpensive virtual reality experience. I, I've used right. it when I do, um, when I've done substitute teaching on, with kids and they right. just get blown away by it. They're just yelling and screaming and, Oh, the shark <laughs> touched me. Uh, right, you know, yeah. Or, yeah. And they're looking around they think it's the greatest thing ever. Right. And it's a technology that most people have their, their phones. So yeah, they can just phone. pop yeah. it in and yeah, look around. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very, it's a much lower bar of entry. Mm. Mm. No, we're not quite to entering in true virtual world yet, but we're working <laughs> no. on it. Yeah, yeah. I, I wait for the I, – I, I hope the day when I can just, you know, plug in a cord in my brain and exist there in, in you know, in real time. Huh. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's an interesting point that I want to bring up though. Um, so I've noticed that one thing – and this kind of came up in the discussion we were just having – that a lot of um, – a lot of lit RPGs don't have much of a downside, I've noticed. Like, they don't mm-hmm. seem to worry too much about the idea that these people are, say, losing touch with reality or that you know, spending so much time in a virtual world is going to have consequences. Yeah, you know, it, it kind of depends on the story you're reading, of course. A lot, a lot of it's just wish fulfillment where right. all the positives are highlighted and very few negatives. And again, also depends on the kind of story you're reading. Um, if it's going to be a virtual reality story where you have to spend equal times in game and out game, then yeah, right. that you're absolutely correct. Some authors don't highlight the negative side of it. Some authors do. Um, I right. continue online is a great example of, of one that does 
highlight both the benefits and the negative consequences of, of a virtual reality world that's hugely popular and mm-hmm. immeasurably immersive. Um, in that particular series, uh, written by a, well, he's a friend of mine. I've been to read him. Um, right. Stephen Morris, he, 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 paints, he paints the picture of a man who's lost his wife or his fiance, right. and he's suffering from some severe mental depression issues. Mm-hmm. And he goes into this virtual world as a way of, of exploring the possibilities of life. Uh, and mm-hmm. because in this virtual world, again, this is a fictional part, um, it's highly immersive. He, he can go into that world and be whoever he wants to. He can walk in other avatars' shoes and see how they've lived their life and dealt with their tragedies. And it becomes right. an almost therapeutic experience for him in, in exploring mm-hmm. different aspects of the way people live and in kind of regaining his own humanity at the same time. Um, and it, it, in part, it becomes a psychological exploration uh, for right. him in a lot of ways. Of course, there's also action and adventure and fighting of and course. space battles and fantasy mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but there's that underlying thread of, of what it means to be human, what it means to explore humanity and not give up mm-hmm. when bad things happen. And so, yeah, uh, yeah so he, he definitely touches on both those aspects of, 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 of virtual reality living, I guess. Mm, excellent. Okay. Sounds like a good take on it. I know that uh, there. I've heard talk of people, uh, therapists using virtual reality to overcome phobias and things like that yeah. already in the real yeah. world. Yeah, absolutely. And again, LitRPG is really an extension of what exists. A lot of it's speculative fiction in that hopefully in the future, it can be super immersive and you can live in these worlds. But the reality is is not too far off. Like you said, yeah. we have virtual experiences where therapists will put a headset on, on someone who's phobic and they'll have them touch a, a fake spider. But the visual stimulation is real enough that right. their mind feels like it's real or you know, uh, the most common version of this is going to be the, the fear of heights when mm-hmm. you're in a virtual reality world, even if it's something as simple as something on your phone mm-hmm. and you're on a tall building and you look down, your body doesn't understand the difference visually that you're not yeah. on the edge of a cliff or on the edge of a building and you feel a sense of vertigo. Your mm-hmm. body hmm. is just, is, is reacting to visual stimulation, not even auditory stimulation necessarily yeah. or real, you know, inner ear canal stuff balance issues, but just visual stimulation is enough to body <coughs> into having these natural chemical responses. And so mm. the extension of that into uh, an immersive virtuality world where you can play your games isn't that huge of a leap in my opinion. And I'm excited right. that it isn't. Yeah, that hmm. is. That's awesome. The only kind of downside, and again, this is the old school cyberpunk talking, is a lot of these... Um, programs and a lot of this technology is going to be expensive so it's going to be at least at first the big corps that are the ones who are going to be in control of everything that gets done with it i think in the world, possibly um that's why i always like the oculus story though it was it was a dude palmer lucky who mm-hmm. was a virtuality enthusiast and he made his own headset and he was selling mm-hmm. it on kickstarter and it was taped up you know you would see it at trade shows um like uh conventions for doom and you, the demos were literally made with, with a headset that was full of duct tape because it was still a prototype model. And his story of, of getting the fame and getting the popularity and getting backers and then eventually being bought up by Facebook, uh, mm-hmm. that, that, that story is, is, kind of gives me hope that it doesn't last that way, be, especially because within that community, within modern gaming communities, um, there are a lot of indie developers for virtual reality games. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's always my hope that those players whether they're indie tech or indie video game programmers, keep the community alive enough and free enough that anybody can program their own game. And at some point when the tech becomes cheap enough, you can make your own headsets 
You know, you don't have to depend upon, you know, these big companies. And the fact that there's at least competition right. says to me that, okay, this is not just going to be some one person's project and they're going to be able to charge you as much as they want for it. They have to mm-hmm. compete with at least two or three players. And right now they're, it's either Sony with the PS, with the PlayStation VR headset. There's, um, Facebook with Oculus, there's um, Steam and Valve with the HTC Vive, um, mm-hmm. and Microsoft is getting into it with the with the uh, Hololens, and they're making their own virtual reality device as well. So, mm-hmm. so there are a lot of big players coming into it, and I think that the fact that the risk competition is only to our benefit as consumers. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, in the headset technology end, I mean, the truth is to actually run a virtual reality simulation still requires a huge amount of processing power and yeah. graphics and everything. That's not cheap, and that's not going to be cheap anytime soon. Um, no, no, it, it's absolutely not. Not it's not super. It, it isn't cheap, unfortunately. Um, but mm-hmm. thankfully, computers are getting more and more robust. The mm-hmm. you know this, and so within five or ten years, it'll be relatively easy to to kind of run your own server, or at least run your own game. I mean, right. you think mm-hmm. of what we can do now with, you know, higher-end PCs. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't take a huge amount of, of every single, I should say, it becomes easier and easier to run those high-end games. Right. And so the same yeah. kind of timeline should apply to virtual reality, even if it's a little longer because it is at least twice the processing power because you're you're doing two different images within the headset. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think it's so feasible that it's not going to be too much longer where it's, it becomes affordable for just about everybody to have one. Right. Well, right. I hope so. Yeah, I definitely hope so, especially considering we've got a huge yep. automation crisis coming up. So uh, people are <laughs> going to have to do something. they got to give them right. something. And again, the, that, I think, again, uh, these are all reflections of reality. Ready Player yeah. One was written before any of this happened. But it yeah. was it's speculative fiction in a way that that, that is coming true. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, jobs are being taken by automated vehicles, automated – I mean – just the transportation industry alone is going to go through a major revolution in, in, in automation within the next five and 10 years. Yep. And so people are going to be out of those jobs um, and they're going to have to find something new. And so virtual spaces or, or you know, the, the gig economy, as it's called, um, might mm-hmm. be an alternative for them. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you got to do something while that rig is driving itself across the country Absolutely. or your car. <laughs> I, um, I, 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 I long for the day when I never have to drive again, my, my friends. Uh, I live in California. We drive. I drive to work uh, 45 minutes each way. An hour and a half of my day spent sitting in my car driving almost mindlessly. So the day that a computer can take care of it and I can, you know, read a book or play a game, I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. Wow. That's true. Well, at that point, you probably won't even own your own <laughs> car. You'll be part of a car sharing program. I hope so. Yeah. One less bill. Well, mm. Exactly. Yeah. Subscription. Uh, Netflix and car sharing. There we go. <laughs> okay, so why don't you tell us? Okay, so if someone wanted to get into the lit RPG genre, where should they start? Uh, I would always say go to the sites that are going to pay the authors. So right now that's going to be Amazon. Amazon is probably the the biggest collection of stories. And that's mostly because they have the Kindle Unlimited program. Right. Not every country has, but that's a subscription service where you pay about $10 a month. But you get to read essentially all the books you want. Right, yeah. That are in that program. So it's a very inexpensive way to to find new authors and to take risks on new mm-hmm. literature because you're not, you're not paying anything extra for it. Um, right, yeah. So Amazon is a great place to find that thing. There are also free sites uh, like the Royal Road. Um, it's a Royal Road, and then there's an L, so it's RoyalRoad.com. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why they spell it that way, but it's an homage to a, to a to a popular little RPG story. 
Okay. And huh. that's, a, that's a place to find a bunch of free stories. And they're in various stages of development. Some are serials where they've been going on for years. Some are mm-hmm. just authors who put up a chapter every couple months. So it kind of varies. But it's free. So it can't complain. Well, um, and then there's um, translations of other mm-hmm. fictions from other countries that aren't licensed in the United States. Um, NovelUpdates.com is a great place to, to look there. And right. I personally have like 130 series that I've read and reviewed on our site wow. at GeekBytesPodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're looking specifically for lit RPG um, recommendations, I've got a big old list, folks. If you want to look <laughs> at it, you can go there and you can find my recommendations. And they're all stories that I love. So Right. But what would you say are the top five lit RPGs that everyone should read? Oh, top, oh man, that is such a difficult question. <laughs> I can give you uh, top one ten because, if you want. <laughs> yeah, one, one because uh, I read so much, and two right. because a lot of the, a few of these guys are my friends. Uh, I, I I interviewed them as authors, and we right. become online friends. Right. Uh, but right. I'd say the way the shaman uh, by Vasily right. Mahenko is definitely a good one. Uh, he in Russian has written nine books, and right. they're they're still in translation. We're up to book four in the United States in English. Oh. So he's just released book four this month. Right. Uh, there's also the Chaos Seed series by Alaron Kong. He um, he has four books out, I believe. He's writing, no, he has five books out. He has his sixth one coming out, hopefully by Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, Play to Live series. That one's a long series. That one's finished, though. It's about seven books. Um, End Online is another one. Um, that's another longer series, about five or six books. And that's one, two, three, four. And five, I'd say Dragon's Wrath. Is, is another good series. Um, and that's about three books in. And the author seems to be stalled there a little bit. He hasn't written anything in a couple, about six or seven months. I don't right. know if he's going to finish his series, but he's an American author. So there's nothing right. translated. He's just, I think he wrote himself through a corner. Hmm. But there, right. there's a ton of other series, like Continue Online, Awaken Online, Delver's LLC, Ascend Online. These are all usually one or two books into their series. So they're not quite right. as uh, as many in them, but they're all great books. And again, I have 130 more that I would list <laughs> off for you guys um, if right. we have time. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> but in terms of ideas, like just ones that are thing you think are really, really clever, what are, what are some of the coolest premises that you've seen for lit RPGs? Sure. Um, continue online. I already mentioned yeah. that one has both the virtuality gaming aspects of it, but also has that psychological um, mm-hmm. exploration portion to it. That, that was definitely unique right. um, storytelling. Um, I love Critical Failures by Robert Bevan. He um, introduces a lot of humor. I mean, there's a lot of immature humor, fart and poop jokes, right. and a lot of cursing uh, in it, but it is absolutely hilarious, uh, especially if you're a tabletop gamer. You'll recognize a lot of the, uh, the types of people you would have potentially played with mm-hmm. within the game, uh, the jerks, the I know-it-alls, bet. a bunch <laughs> of guys, um, and you'll you'll find all the inside jokes. It's really hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um I also love, um, I'd say, Chaos Seed series is is very interesting in the in the fact that it is, it, it's a portal fantasy in that someone's transferred to another world, mm-hmm. but the story's as equally much about creating a community as it is about a single player adventuring. Mm-hmm. Huh. You know, so the, so the, there's very much a, a real time strategy or civ aspect to it where the character has control of a city that he creates and he's inviting a bunch of, you know, fantasy characters who are disenfranchised in this world. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of, you know, uh, things you don't see in other, um, little RPG, like city building mechanics, you know, developing walls and, and social mm-hmm. structures and, and kind of understanding what it means to be a leader 
within a community um, that you're trying to create and love. Um, right. So I'd say those are some unique. I mean, I love all these stories. I literally right. I've read all the things that I can, and these are just the one thirty that I can recommend. I've read right. at least three hundred this year, three hundred individual mm-hmm. stories or books, um, and these are the ones that I love the most. So it's real hard to pick out the ones. I also say um, there's a dungeon mm-hmm. master story uh, that's a really unique premise um, where the main character is a slime. It's, I think it's called uh, the Slime Dungeon. Okay. Um, yeah. So if you if you've ever played the game like Dungeon Keeper, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where the main protagonist is is a character who creates dungeons, so right. he's the dungeon itself, and so his job as a dungeon um, to survive is to create pathways, traps, populate monsters within the dungeon, mm-hmm. and kill adventurers who come in. Right. And at, if he kills them, <laughs> and then there's like a balancing act between it, if he kills too many adventurers, then people are going to come and destroy his core and destroy his dungeon because he's killing too many people. Right. And if it doesn't kill enough adventurers, he doesn't get the experience he needs to survive and to create better traps and treasure for people. So there's a really interesting um, balancing act between resource management and, and being creative. So right. I'd say those are some very interesting <laughs> premises for, for stories. Wow. Sorry. That's pretty I lost good. lost my piece. There you wow. go. <laughs> so what are you guys saying? Oh, yeah. Um, no, I was just going to ask. So I suppose the most unique one I've come across is, and I don't know if it, I, I come across one Chinese one. This was a translated Chinese one. Probably you come across it too. I don't remember the, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's one where there's a guy who gets on an airplane and he wakes up. It's kind of like the premise of Lost, except mm-hmm. it turns out that they're in, that our world is the virtual reality world and he wakes up with the powers of a PC. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I, I don't know that specific story again there there are so many out right. there in the world i i haven't read them all even though i've tried um I, I i understand the premise that you're talking about and i've seen it before but right. it, it's a very fun opportunity for for growth in that our world is the virtual world yeah basically and mm-hmm. that we're all we're the npcs yeah. and the gamers start showing up and huh. uh yeah that i thought that was one of the more interesting was that yeah, I've read some interesting, uh, I, I call it apocalyptic lit RPG, because mm-hmm. it usually revolves around the end of the world kind of situation and people gaining these power-ups as kind of a, a Hunger game situation, where they're, right. they, it's our world, something bad happens, aliens invade, whatever it is, but they impose um, role-playing game mechanics on our world. So I would mm-hmm. suddenly be able to, you know, kill some monster that shows up on my front door and gain XP to, you know, and use that experience points to, to buy a power like flight or laser eyes or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And other people also in the world gain the same experiences. So then it becomes, do I kill that other person for experience points or would I be a good guy and just, you know, kill monsters or other things? Right. That's odd. That kind that kind of sounds like Torg. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, you know, the RPG mechanics are there. So you see all the interesting possibilities with within those systems. Huh. That's different. <laughs> yeah. That's why I said that's it. There's a ton of storytelling possibilities within the lit RPG community. The, the, the sky's the limit in this in this situation. Yeah. It's just applying those game mechanics so that it's you understand the worlds that you're, you're building. Now, there's an odd thing. With a lot of the stories, do you find that they tend to uh, be, uh, we'll say one specific character centric or do they do more of like a, a, a group, I guess. It depends on the story. And of course the storyteller, again, that literature can apply to any 
number of narrative styles, whether it's multiple perspective or single per character focused. Um, I, I, I tend to find that new authors like myself, um, I wrote a story recently that just went up on Amazon today called Adventures on Terra. Book oh, one congratulations. And yeah, yeah mm. it, they didn't tell me. Someone in my Facebook group uh, and our Facebook group said, hey, there's this new story here. Anybody know anything about it? I'm like, hey, that's mine. I, I didn't know that it actually posted. <laughs> right. Um, huh. But it's, it's very single person centric. There's one main character. He creates a couple friends. He has a couple friends, but that's kind of it. And a lot of mm -hmm. new authors like myself, because we're inexperienced in, in writing, Mm -hmm. tend to do that kind of stuff. The more experienced writers tend to do multiple perspectives or, or focus on, on larger group dynamics or, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Right. Right. So what are some of the challenges then as a lit RPG author, what are some of the challenges of writing them? Uh, I, I'd say there are the general writing challenges, you know, mm -hmm. trying to create a good story that you want that people are going to read. Those are the general ch story challenges that, that apply to all writing. Um, right. for lit RPG stories in particular, it, there's, there's an added level of complexity because you're, you're creating a game world or, you're, mm -hmm. or at least you're applying game mechanics to that world. So right. you, as an author have to decide generally in advance what those game mechanics are going to be, or is it going to be, you know, a D and D style of, mm -hmm. of, of, of game mechanics? Is it going to be some video game mechanics that you're familiar with, or are you going to create your own world, which means you have to create your own formulas, equations, your own, um, level level decisions how much experience points a particular creature is going to have um skill trees um is it going to be a cultivation ranking system is it going to follow western uh, an eastern eye system where there are more ranks and levels um so all those decisions have to kind of be made in advance otherwise your story doesn't make sense because that's one of the draws right. of 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 the, of the genre is that this world makes sense in a way that our world is not the rules apply and they're mm -hmm. consistent. And if they're not mm -hmm. consistent, readers are very quick to point them out. I have my beta readers, when, <laughs> I have, when I put it before them, they were very like, oh no, this rule is different than this rule. Like he did damage here and it's not being applied the same way here. And, right. and they, because they have that experience of, of reading right. Dungeons and Dragon manuals or, or playing video games long enough to say, oh, this is how it should be. They're, they're quick to point it out. So there's, there's that extra added uh, level of complexity that maybe may or may not be in other forms of writing. Right. Hmm. Something I've always worried about with lit RPGs and is that, um, isn't it hard though to create, to put like say the main character in peril or to like make their consequences? Because after all, the main character can just respawn. Like, I mean, there are some like sword art online, for example, where, okay, if you die, you die. Yeah. But in, in a lot of situations, okay, they're playing a video game. There's not a lot of consequence there. And some, so it's, it seems hard to place the main character in any kind of jeopardy because we all know it's just a video game. He's just going to respawn. Yes and no. Um, I'd say you are correct in that there are certain levels of fiction. Like my story, one life, that's all you get. You die, you die. So right. there, okay, there's that level that. Of, of finality and, and final consequences to, to making that decisions. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I'd say it's not necessarily a, a disadvantage to the character to have infinite lives because it makes you more bold. It makes that character more likely to take risks mm -hmm. within the storyline. So you get a more exciting story that way when you right. have a response. If you want to create consequences, you do the same way game developers do. You, you create some kind of negative effect, whether it's a loss of experience points, you lose a level, right. you lose um, you know, your, your, your equipment, you might drop all your loot and you have to get to it before some other character does. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you lose skills, whatever the case is. It, it's, it's kind of the same rules that an MMO has to decide on. An MMO might decide a massive multi-online game. Right. 
might decide hmm. that there are no consequences. And so you're right in that it becomes there, it becomes less fulfilling because mm. there's no risk, so the rewards aren't quite a, a, quite as interesting. Right. And other MMOs have a variety of, of consequences for uh, death penalties. Hmm. That's true. Yeah, some of them have had... Well, the simplest way is to actually come up with penalties that don't involve dying or living for the character. You know, that they... Uh, that they that they it would involve the loss of like another character, for example, or status or something else, or something reputation. else. That's, yeah, yeah. Reputation. Exactly. Yeah. Something that's going to affect them greatly. And that, and of course you have to make a character that the audience cares about. Right. And so those are all, those are all the same challenges that you have in other writings, making a character that somebody, somebody right, can yeah. empathize with and see themselves in. Right. No, I noticed something. Sorry, Don. Just if I can go okay. for a sec, I noticed something when you were listing off some of your favorites in that. And you were mentioning that lit RPGs tend to be really long stories, don't they? They can be. Um, some are just one-offs, but I think it, it, it again plays with the same mentality of, of of good video games. You want as many sequels as possible because people love your stories. Well, that's you know? true. And so you you can explore seven or eight novels and still feel fresh. Because mm. just like within an MMO, the story mm -hmm. never really ends. Right. Inside of a multiplayer, you just go on different quests. You go on different questions. Later on in the series, you get epic raids. Um, right. And so that same kind of storytelling mentality definitely fills, you know, filters into lit RPG for a lot of authors because that's what they're basing their worlds on. They're basing their world on their gaming experience. And right. other readers sense that and they appreciate it. Okay, I can see that. Hmm. Sorry, Sorry no, I... You were going to say? Go. Oh, I was going to say, I think the, the, the last point there kind of hits it at uh, uh, what Rob was getting at. I think with this style, why it would come about now would be you can have, even though we know the character isn't in genuine corporeal real world peril, you can still empathize and, and, and fear for the character because I think we've gotten to a point where enough of us, enough people in society... We've played these games, so when the character in the game in the story is imperiled, it brings back memories and emotions from when we were playing a game and we had characters in similar situations. And I, I think, that. especially uh -huh. if you consider the hours or weekends people put into raids, mm -hmm. um, like if you're at that last boss and you spent 30 <laughs> hours getting there in, in a good raid and you die and the party wipes, it's the most horrible feeling. <laughs> In the work, if you've you've literally wasted you know days of your time right, getting yeah. to that spot, um, and even though your character comes back, you know in the in the, in the starter town or whatever it is, there's still a sense of loss. And I, when I read mm. those kind of stories, I'm like, oh, I get that. Yeah, <laughs> that's happened to me. Party wipe, mm. and know. that's that's something new that um that we, that that an author can play on. It's it's kind of a new experience that's in the lexicon of the, that even if you you're not a big gamer you're probably familiar enough with the concept that yeah you can sort of feel that pain cuz in the back of your head you know what goes on all to 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 get to that point unless you're a dedicated non-gamer and then you're laughing cuz eh, you wasted your life you loser which is probably how you feel yeah. about your significant other who plays video games in real life and etc okay, <laughs> as long as they're enjoying the story and they're happy I'm okay with that mm hmm no, that, that that makes sense. Yeah, and that, another way that authors, I think, in the community have have created consequences for the character is mm -hmm. almost a reflection of again of, of modern life in gaming, and that some people do it for a living. There are right. Chinese gold farmers. There are people in Korea who 
who really make a living farming right. gold or farming items and selling them for real world currency, whether mm-hmm. it's a trading card game or an MMO or you know something like that. Um, right. And so that kind of, same kind of real life consequences is reflected in some lit RPGs in that their their livelihood for their families or for their whatever they're doing in the real world depends upon their performance in a game. So if they suck at the game, if they if they die suddenly and they lose a level or they lose their items that they just got that they plan to sell for, you know, a week's worth of wages, um, you know, there's a consequence for them outside of the game and in the game. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. that does. Yeah, I guess that's a good way. That's a good way. Also, it strikes me in a way that video games have become the new sports on some levels. I mean, in old oh, past, yeah, yeah, past generations, you could actually everyone understood sports metaphors because everyone watched football or baseball, basketball, whatever. And you could, and most people had played it in high school, so you could empathize. And you, you could understand sports dramas and such, sports stories. But now people are playing video games, so everyone understands those yeah. feelings and those ideas and everything. So it makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. The lit RPGs genre is, is absolutely a, a a consequence of the popularization of gaming culture. I I, mm-hmm. I agree with you one hundred percent. Even gaming as a real sport is becoming more and more of a thing. You have esports, yeah, um, yeah, where people are watching you know teams go head to head in 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 some in some game, you know, like StarCraft or you know a fighting you know game or whatever. It's again more popular overseas, which you get. Mm-hmm makes sense why Little RPG would, would appear there first. Oh, yeah. But in the United States, mm-hmm. it's also becoming more and more popular. Yeah. yeah. There was just a eSports tournament or something to that effect in Toronto just like a month or two back. And it was it filled one of Toronto's biggest stadiums. Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. again, that, that's a consequence of the popularization of that gaming culture. So people understand they were willing to watch those guys play this game because they yeah. understand they understand the nuances the same way people who love watching football understand it you know yeah. you, people yell at their screen they say no you should have done this instead of that <laughs> yeah i don't know what those things are that's not my thing but if mm. you put me in front of a you know a gaming screen i see people playing like oh no he's he's doing that maneuver incorrectly he he should be doing it this way he or he played that card wrong he should have done that other spell spell right. card if it's her turn or something mm-hmm. so uh, yeah i i agree yep huh. definitely no I, I sorry go oh Oh, no, I was going to say, I imagine, too, part of it for video games is that we've gotten to a point where you can do that. It's not like, say, back in, in my younger days where, um, to use a phrase a friend of ours uses to describe video games, yellow square hits red square. <laughs> like, you you can empathize more with 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 um, the action in a video game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and again, that's technology advances gaming advances literature mm-hmm. advances in the same respects it's everything's tied in and mm-hmm. i i love the world that we live in in this respect at least mm-hmm. in that a lot of these these things that i love virtuality gaming um li- literature sci-fi fantasy they're all kind of merging together within this genre right mm-hmm. now let's take okay talking about them advancing so let's let's say something um uh, where would you like to see the lit rpg genre go like what would you like to see more of in the genre? I would love to read more stories. I mean, that's always the case with something you love, but especially with RPG, uh, as a reader, I cannot get enough. And I'm no, I'm not alone in, in the, in the community. It's, right. it's almost like literary crack. And right. that you, once you get into it, you, that first dose is free, man. It's on, it's free on Kindle mm-hmm. Unlimited. Um, right. but the next one's going to cost you and we're more than willing to pay. I've literally shelled out for some serials, three, four bucks for a hundred word novel. 
right. because it's so engaging, because it has that same kind of fulfillment of, 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 of being in a fantasy world, but understanding the system like an MMO or, you know, or any kind of video game system. Um, I would love to just see more literature out there. I would love to see more authors come in and write mm -hmm. amazing stories. Um, and I think the genre itself and the community lends itself to amateur authors like myself taking up the pen mm. for the first time. Right. Like I said, personally, I've never written a story before in my entire life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've written papers, term papers for college and engineering stuff, but I've never been a creative writer, but right. because of this particular community and it's, it's willingness and it's, it's, it's almost a, a calling out mm -hmm. for new authors and people and people who love writing or who love gaming. And they mm -hmm. say writers should write what they know. Well, I'm a gamer. I've gamed my whole life, so so writing that kind of thing seems feasible to me. Right. Um, yeah, makes sense. I could never, yeah, I could never write high fiction. I could never write a space opera because I know nothing about those genres. I know mm -hmm. nothing about those things in reality, right? But right. I've been a gamer my whole life, practically. So I could write a game about video game fiction or or a game world that has game mechanics in it, video game mechanics, in it because that that's what I know. And a lot of people are like me, in that they've been gamers their whole lives. They're tabletop gamers or video game players or you know, they've just read role-playing games or whatever it is. And so they, they have stories in their brains that just percolate as they read more and more in their stuff. And mm -hmm. there's tons of people who are just first time authors and they're successful on Amazon because, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a huge desire for these stories within that community. Right. Hmm. Okay. Well, are there any types of particular story types you'd like to see more of that you don't think are being mined properly? Uh, that's a tough question because there is so much stuff out there and you don't really know what you want until you see a little bit of it. Right. So it's hard for me to speculate on, on what I would love to see. I, and, and I've seen so much already. I've seen dark fiction. Right. I've seen, I've seen, um, space operas. I've seen, you know, mm -hmm. the dungeon master story. I've seen regular fiction and science fiction. Um, so I can't say if there's any particular type of story I would love to see more of. I would love for better authors than me. Right. To take a, to, you know, to dip a toe in this and, and show me what I'm missing. That's right. what I would love. I would love for them to say, I'm an urban fantasy author and I'm going to do a little RPG story, but I, because I know urban fantasy, I'm going to mesh the two together and create something new and create something interesting and unique. Right. Um, I would love to see just new types of stories. I can't tell you what they are because I haven't read them yet, but mm -hmm. I know, I know I'll love it when I see it. Right. Hmm. That's a great answer. Hmm. Um, <laughs> How about, let's look at the flip side of that, though. What would you like to see less of? I would less like to see less uh, bad editing or no editing. Again, that's mm -hmm. another consequence of, of it encouraging amateur authors mm -hmm. um, or first-time authors is that they're first-time authors like me. Uh, and so sometimes their stories are a little rough. And mm -hmm. we don't realize it because we just don't have a background in writing. Right. Um, and so learning within the community of, of these are the ways you have to get editors or you have to get a lot of beta readers and you have to work hard to polish your story. Even once it's finished, um, I would love to see, you know, things like uh, better spelling, better grammar. Um, mm -hmm. cause uh, I, again, if they're amateur works, I understand. And I give them some part of, part of what I love is that they're willing to take the risk because that's right. a hard thing to do to, to put yourself out there and to create something out of your mind and to be open to criticism from people. Right. Mm, that takes yeah. that takes some that takes some nads, man. That takes some it does. Yeah, you know, some brass mm -hmm. ones. Um, so I always give them credit for it. and I kind of give a little bit of leeway. But on the other side, as a consumer, if I'm paying for it, if I'm mm -hmm. shelling out, you know, two, three, four, five bucks, whatever it is, um, I expect 
some of those spelling errors to have gone away by now. <laughs> yeah, you would you would hope. You would hope. Yeah, I'm cool yeah. with it. If it's, if it's free, I don't care. You can have spelling errors every other word, and it's free, so, I, you know, whatever. But mm-hmm. if I'm paying for it, I have a higher higher bar that you have to meet. Right. Huh. Well, are there any uh, other issues that the community is, like, struggling to deal with or, or is trying to deal with? Or, I mean... Um, how can I put this? For example, issues like um, sexism, for example. I would imagine, because a lot of this is written by young men, especially. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Um, there must be an issue with like female perspectives and such in lit RPGs. I would say yes. Yeah, there, I mean, I can't say that there's definitely an issue with sexism. I'm, I'm on the wrong mm-hmm. side of that issue to, right. to give a, an opinion on it. Um, mm-hmm. But you are correct that a lot of this is being written by guys. Not all of it, though. I, I've, I've read several works of fiction, like uh, Fantasia. Um, there's some other works that are really good fiction written by from with a female perspective or uh, written by a female author. Right. Um, and they're really interesting and they're 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 well written, but they're mm-hmm. very much a minority. Right. And yeah. and I think part of that is just again uh, an extrapolation of perceived gaming culture. Yeah. In reality, gaming culture is pretty well represented. About half of them are women, half of them are men, according yep. to, to studies. But the perception of gaming culture, the right. perception of the gamer, is that it's mostly a sausage fest, that it's a bunch of dudes. Yeah. Um, yep. And so that came, same kind of perceived uh, reality mm-hmm. of gaming culture again bleeds into the writing of of little RPG, and that right. most women aren't going to feel comfortable writing in that genre because they don't perceive it as be a Right. themselves their stories being seen necessarily i've right. done I've, I've done what i can of course to and within my story there's a very nice romance story with, mm-hmm. within the gaming culture as well i it, and that's in part because i'm married mm-hmm. and i i kind of wrote my story for my wife right uh, oh, my goal nice. within my, my yeah my goal within my story was to make her laugh she's not a gamer mm-hmm. she's not um into little rpg or role-playing games like that mm-hmm. um so i kind of wrote it with her kind of her as a reader, basically, mm-hmm. um, to actually do a lot of my my first draft editing as a gear of foot massages. So it was kind of a, a couple mm. reconnecting things in that respect. <laughs> right. And I so knew nice. a joke had landed when she was reading it and she just started to giggle or laugh. Right. Um, and so I, I, I tried to incorporate a, a healthy female perspective within my story as well. But it's it's difficult, especially when you don't have those kind of influences in your lives. Right. Mm. No, I can see that. Also, yeah. I know those game statistics they tend to trot out are a little bit messed up. Like they're actually playing with them a little bit. Because, for example, yes, they'll tell you half of gamers are female, That's which is true. But they're including casual gamers in there, yep. which of course, and, mm. and casual and puzzle gamers. Women tend to play different types of games than men do on average. And, of course, if you look at the top-selling female games, um, the Gaming Association of the United States puts out a, a paper every year describing, I don't know if you've seen it or not, that they put out a whole a booklet of statistics. And the thing that, one of the things you'll notice is that at least under, you can tell the female games because basically The Sims is like half the top 20. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. yeah, and Women, that, that's, yeah, that's perfectly appropriate. We're different mm-hmm. kinds of people. We have different exactly. interests, you mm-hmm. know. Most romance novel readers are women. That doesn't mean there aren't men that exist. Or, or that oh, yeah. Men can't be good romance novel writers. Yep. And I think mm-hmm. the same kind of logic applies. I, uh, 
I don't mean to imply that all women play all kinds of video games, yeah, but they yeah. do have the same gamer mentality. Even if it's just an emerging part of the gamer culture, mm. it still exists. Yep. So in my opinion, it should be reflective. It should be reflected in lit RPG possibly. And I would, right. I would love to see more women writers write lit RPG stories. Um, and I always it, it, on forums and within our community, we, I think we're very, very welcoming mm-hmm. of, of women perspectives. It's just, well, that's good. you know, yeah, it's just getting, it's just, I think it's harder for women sometimes to, to enter what they perceive to be a male dominated community or society. Yeah, I think hmm. so too. And also yeah. I think some of it's probably generational as well. I mean, yeah. as we get a generation of girls that grow up playing adventure games and things like that, we're going to see more uh, girls involved with lit RPGs, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Definitely. Sorry, John. You were gonna say? Oh no, I'm just. Th- th- this is all kind of, kind of a, a new, a new kind of whole medium for me because we we were talking. Me and Robert talked about this a couple weeks ago, so that's why I'm kind of glad you showed up because now I can probe you for info. Um, I'm wondering, dude. This isn't what, that kind of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it could be. <laughs> he never wants me to bring out the death ray. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm curious about um. You talked about the internal consistency is important to the uh, to to the the readers in general. How much into the game part do people get? Like, are are there are people actually say writing what is in essence an effective role playing game and then basing a story around those rules, or are they kind of faking it? Um, it depends on the writer. Um, I know I, I've interviewed at least um, seven or eight lit RPG authors. Um, mm-hmm. for the podcasts and they've all said the same things to me. They have multiple spreadsheets for gaming rules, uh, for mm-hmm. character sheets, for, for skill descriptions, for monster descriptions, including, you know, the die roll that they would possibly were, or the damage possibilities, mm-hmm. the experience points. So they're literally for, for, for a lot of the good ones, they're creating whole gaming systems, even if they're not quite as complicated or as, as all encompassing as mm-hmm. a Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. you know, kind of rule book necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still legitimate gaming sense. Like personally, I, I have those same spreadsheets for my novel. Um, I have, you know, I have one for character stats. I have one for, for character names, but also skills and like 20 or 30 monsters, including mm-hmm. descriptions and possible attacks, um, you know, and the possible damages, you know, and, you know, whole, whole, whole sheets of equations for, um, how a strength modifier will affect a damage roll for one character, but not for another one. Cause he's more of a dex build and he's an assassin. So he, he relies more on agility <laughs> and, you know, intelligent boasts and this guy's a glass cannon. So his intelligence has to be maxed out, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, huh. and so they they really are creating, and sometimes they're, they're cheating a little bit. They'll base it on other established you know, mm-hmm. role-playing game mechanics like Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder or, you know, just video game stuff that they've recognized and love and, and understand. Uh, mm-hmm. But for the most part, if they're, if they're good little RPG authors, they're, they're full systems. Wow. Cause that's, that's interesting. Cause we'd talked a while ago on the show about um, indie role-playing games and how say in the nineties, you started getting um, a lot of tabletop role-playing game designers we're taking the game more towards a story than a game. And it's interesting to find that there are people who are now taking stories the other way into the realm of game. Yeah. Cause it's, it's an appeal. I mean, that to me, that's, that's one of the great things about modern video gaming, modern tabletop mm-hmm. gaming is you don't have to choose one or the other. You can mm-hmm. have both. You can have a video game, um, you know, like, um, 
like Mass Effect, which is, mm-hmm. is essentially a sci-fi shooter game, mm-hmm. but you have role-playing mechanics in there. You can uh, upgrade your armor. You have stats on your weapons. You have character choices you make, and they affect your reputation with characters. Or you have tabletop gaming, which is largely a visualized in your brain, but there has mm-hmm. to be a great engaging story. But there's also those all those stats and numbers that that you know geeks like me love. Because you want to minute max our characters, mm-hmm. um, and and so the fact that literature can reflect that same kind of thing, where you don't have to choose between story and gaming mechanics, I think it, it fits so many people, and that's why it's so popular because it's it's fulfilling a need that people didn't realize that they had. Huh? It's oh, fascinating, mm. and it's it's interesting because yeah, it it shows that I guess it's a gamer speak has really become its own thing. It's like it's its own lexicon, and it's again, universal enough that it can now be utilized for things other than straight up gaming. Yeah. yeah it, it's, I've heard, I mean, I've heard these terms before in the, in regular life, you know, I, I pwn that guy, you know, it's not <laughs> an uncommon phrase nowadays. Even mm-hmm. People who aren't gamers, they, they understand what it means. Yeah, mm. that's true. Well, they become part of internet memes and the internet lexicon and yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Hmm. Yeah, and again, that's one of those things about the internet. It, it's, it, it's so easy to popularize ideas through the, that medium that, that you couldn't do before it was there. Right. That's, that's, I think that's part of, part of the reason that this type of literature couldn't have taken off like it has in the 80s, in the 90s, when that last virtual reality boom occurred, is because the internet wasn't as abrasive. It wasn't as easy mm-hmm. to, to publish on the internet. And right. It wasn't as easy to get those stories filtered around the world. Like, I, I highly doubt that anybody would be able to translate and publish in the United States as many stories as they have from Korea or Japan or Russia. It would be a right. huge undertaking. It's, it's rather expensive. I've talked to um, Magic Jim Books. Is a is a publishing company in Russia who specializes in translating literary stories from Russian into English. That's the, mm-hmm. where, where the shaman gets his translated from, uh, Vasily Mahenko. And he 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 told me at interview it costs him um, four grand to publish to translate one book and to put it in English. Right. Hmm. So there's there's a huge expense on his part right. to do that kind of thing. So if it's not if there's not an audience already built in, it's not going to happen. Uh, yeah. But because of the internet, somebody mm-hmm. can do that on their own as a fan service, as, as just a fan and do that kind of thing, or as an independent author. Mm-hmm. I could never in the 80s get a book published on gaming or literary RPG yeah. because publishers have to be super selective about the things that they're going to invest their time and money in. Um, and if they don't know if it's a sure thing, they're not going to do it. And, yeah. But with indie publishing and the internet and the and the opportunities on like Amazon for self-publishing, it's you, you write it, you press the button. And it's there for people to consume, and it'll succeed or die on its own merits. Mm-hmm. Yep. Huh. Yeah, that's the one of the great things about the age we live in. Self-publishing yep. is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I wish you great success with your book. I hope that uh, you get lots of good reviews and that uh, you're you're inspired to write more sequels. I hmm. hope so too. It's <laughs> it's more of just like a project for me. I, I mean, I know I don't I don't expect to be a famous author. There is just a story in my brain that I had to tell, and I hope some people enjoy the jokes and the journey that mm. the characters go on. And if they do, great. If they don't, I appreciate you taking the time to read it. Any other questions, Don? Oh, um, I'm wondering, um, one, one kind of last thing. Um, mm-hmm. I remember not that long ago, at least to me, but remember I'm old, there used to be a lot of, I guess, animosity between different gamers, like video game and tabletop gamers didn't get along. Uh, for video games, there were casual gamers and real gamers. 
And do you find that there's still some of that or have they all sort of just congregated together now? I think that there's enough games for everybody to be satisfied with what they love. And I can't speak for all gamers. I'm, um, you know, I, I usually play single player campaigns because I don't like other people. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I'd say on the whole, gamers are more accepting of of other types of gamers because they understand as like, growing up loving something that not everybody did, the ostracism that can take place within a geek community. And mm. so I think they're more willing to, to accept, oh, you're a casual gamer. That's awesome. As long as you love it, have a good time. Maybe it's not my thing, but, you know, if you're having a good time, you know, you, you do your thing. Hmm. I'm sure there are still trolls, but you're kind of a lot better at it. Right. Okay. All right, then. Um, Hmm. I think that we're hitting the hour and a half mark, so it's probably time to bring this to a close. We don't want to take too much of your time. And wow, you've given us a lot to think about, Ramon. Thank you Mm -hmm. very much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. I I love talking to you guys. You you guys are real fun to talk to. I think we fall in the same kind of communities and the same interests. So I'm always happy to talk to, to fellow, fellow geeks and nerds. We, you know, <laughs> we, we have to stick together guys. Otherwise yeah. the bullies are going to gang up on us. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Just like back in high school. <sighs> anyway, I, I, re- I resent that. I was a bully. <laughs> I see you've reformed at least. I, I, <laughs> I love a reformed bully. <laughs> They're great geek advocates. Right. <laughs> All right, so um, any final thoughts, Don, before we go? Oh, this was, uh, like I say, this was fantastic because it's like discovering a whole new, like, like universe. Because, yeah, a few weeks ago, I had no idea this kind of thing exists. Now you find out there's a whole big, like, universe of it that's been going on and you didn't even notice. Mm-hmm. Well, that's absolutely. the... And it, yeah. It's like it's it fulfills a need you didn't know you had. And, yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. I felt the same way the first time I read a story in the RPG. I was like, this... I've been looking for this my whole life. I didn't know it though. And you know, hundreds of books later, I I'm, have a podcast and I'm writing my own novel. Yeah. It's amazing. It really is how it can transform our lives. All right. So on that note, gentlemen, thank you very much again, Ramon for coming on. Mm. Um, thanks Don. And I wish everyone a good evening. Um, uh, have a great week and we'll see you in two weeks with another amazing episode of the Department of Nerdly Affairs which will be about something awesome and you'll have to wait two weeks to find out what (laughs) take care everyone bye bye (laughs) thanks for listening to the show if you'd like to hear more or join the conversation come visit us at obeythedna.com you can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!